Nigga, this shit ain't safe. Nigga, this shit ain't safe. I done moved around that Geo. I done dance that bitch like Neo. Uh, nigga, this shit ain't safe. And a friend came down for Rio. She done moved in with a whole kilo, huh? What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 157 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at Two Black nerds.com go check out our nerds of thunder collection inspired by thor love and thunder we got t-shirts crew next hoodie stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing guillermo del toro's new horror anthology series on netflix cabinet of curiosities also we'll chat about henry selick and jordan peele's new stop motion animated film wendell and wild plus we'll discuss two films getting some early oscar buzz the banshees of inna sharon and all quiet on the west western front but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with the review of the new star wars anthology series tales of the jedi everywhere there is life but you must face death honor it do not fear it jedi Ahsoka is Jedi. The best way I can protect you is to teach you how to protect yourself. Master Dooku. I want to bring peace and order to the galaxy. Master, stop! It is the only way you will truly have victory. My Padawan. Again. Again. Dooku, stand down. about the coming darkness. Let's hope all that training pays off. And who might you be? Now, this series is created by Dave Filoni, and it's starring a voice cast of Ashley Eckstein, Corey Burton, Janina Gavinkar, T.C. Carson, Liam Neeson, Mikhail Richardson, Bryce Dallas Howard, Ian McDermott, Matt Lantern, James Arnold Taylor, Phil Lamar, D. Bradley Baker, and Clancy Brown. So, I think we first heard about Tales of the Jedi officially from D23. That's when they rolled out a trailer, and we know Dave Filoni has been steeped in Star Wars animation history. Mm-hmm. He was the creator of the original Clone Wars animated series, also went on to be the showrunner for shows like Rebel, and currently he's now working in the live-action capacity with the whole Mandalorian universe that they've built out for Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. But now he's returning to animation here with Tales of the Jedi, which is really an anthology series, a lot of shorts taking place 
with two primary characters that they're following, Count Dooku and also Ahsoka Tano, and just looking at it from different vantage points. And so these shorts just recently premiered on Disney+. Plus. We got a chance to check them out. So with all of that out the way, I'll pass it over to you, man. What did you think about Tales of the Jedi? Yeah, something, you know, sometimes people just get it, you know, and people just understand, I think, the content that they're trying to put out there. And I think they understand the just the material, man, of 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 the really the franchise or the book they're trying to write or the yeah, just the world that they exist in. And I think Dave Filoni is just one of those people that just understands Star Wars. Like, of course, he has at this point created a good amount of it. But I think he still even himself had to understand you know the little the little pockets of whether it's the prequel trilogy or the you know the, the the original trilogy whatever it may be to get some of these um just to do the animation things that he does of course he does things outside of that now but coming off of the back of clone wars man this dude was already like a beast in my eyes right like a legend um and, and now we've, we've gotten more from him between the mandalorian to how we get here to tells of the jedi and coming into tells of the jedi i had I actually had no idea what this was going to be like i kind of had a an idea that it would feel like um yeah just random stories but this was way more i think concentrated than i thought it was going to be i didn't understand coming into this that it was really just like side by side tales of half ahsoka and half um um count dooku that's just not what i thought it was going to be and i was like huh this is kind of a cool concept that i just yeah i i didn't see coming but in watching it man um i have to say i enjoyed myself i like how short every episode is like give or take 15 minutes i like that it's only six of them uh i didn't i didn't really need a lot um but i love how we can peek into these two very important characters' um, lives throughout Star Wars history and just, in some ways, fill in some of the gaps. Because sometimes, for me, that's some of the funnest stuff in Star Wars, right? When you watch um, the the original uh, trilogy exist, but some of the funs in the prequel trilogy is filling in the gaps. Like, how do we get there? You know what I'm saying? And, and this Tales of the Jedi does that for both Ahsoka and Count Dooku, um, and it, it felt like, I don't know, kind of a cool refresher in some ways, too, seeing people pop up like Yaddle pop up, which is like, oh, shoot, I know who that is. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, or just to see even even the presence of, 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 shoot, a Mace Windu. I don't know, just cool seeing characters you haven't seen in a while, I think exist in these in these small little episodes um that that tells that the jedi set forward but it's not only that like seeing that it's like each tale had something in my mind important to say or had something to say about the character that we were paying attention to that was important to their their growth as a character or it was just a like a lesson a jedi lesson or the lack thereof or what was happening um and again there for, for you to be able to accomplish that in the short amount of time that you had um, with these, I thought was was pretty well done and and, and pretty impressive. It, lo- it still looks good. It really takes from the, those last seasons of the Clone Wars, exact same animation. It looks really good. Um, I, I I love that. Um, but this is also proof that even though both of these people are Force wielders, it's not like there's a ton of Jedi action, you know, or lightsaber action going on in these either to make them meaningful. Um, so yeah, man, I enjoyed them. I thought they were they were well done. Um, I'm not surprised at all. Um, uh, I thought it was also cool. Bryce Dallas Howard voiced Yaddle, which I didn't see coming either. <laughs> um, seeing, but it's it's dope to see that she remaining involved in Star Wars as well. 
Um, but man, it's it's yeah. I'm just happy to see them doing more things like this in the Star Wars world. I still haven't gotten to like the Bad Batch yet, but I'm assuming like it's also just as good as this is. Um, so yeah, I'll, I hope to see them continue to do more stuff like this. And yeah, Dave Filoni's a beast. Simple as that. Dave Filoni and all of their animation that they do is just so reliable and it has been for such a long time now. And so coming into Tales of the Jedi, noticing that it maintained that same quality and style from the Clone Wars only reassured me that this was going to be something that I enjoy. But like you, I didn't anticipate that this would be so focused Mm -hmm. on just two characters and just taking sort of a distinct path forward with just both both of their trajectories and how they came to be. But I really enjoyed this as well. And the fact that we got to fill in so many gaps and learn even more about a character like Count Dooku, who, if you just look at the movies on their own, comes off as just a naturally evil guy mm-hmm. who, who just was always this way. You never got to see really any of that humanity behind him because by the time we met him in the movies, he had already turned to the dark side. And so a lot of the work that they did here was actually pretty exceptional to give him multiple shades to his personality and to show that this was actually a slow gradual descent this wasn't something that just happened overnight for him and then of course Ahsoka Tano is just an incredibly popular character within all of Star Wars at this at this at this particular time we're on the heels or at least on the precipice I should say of the live action series starring Rosario Dawson that should be coming out next year so this is also just a great way to fill in her history and her backstory and to showcase where she started at with her birth and then how she ultimately came to be this really formidable Jedi throughout the universe. And so overall, this was also a home run for me and I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought that it actually provided an even, an even more epic scope to, to the stories that they were telling. Cause it, it, it just always feels like that there's a lot of care and attention placed to the way that they communicate and articulate these stories on screen. Like, yes, it's animation, but they always feel really mature. Mm-hmm. They always feel like the stakes are actually high yeah. every single time out. And I'm, I'm just, I'm constantly impressed by that, their ability to make the stakes seem high because they really are. It's it's life and death, you know, for a lot of characters that, that get wrapped up into these particular things. So this is just another great addition to the whole Star Wars animated canon of stuff that they've been producing for the past decade, you know, plus really. And so Tales of the Jedi certainly gets my recommendation. Any favorite of these shorts for you, like anyone that that stood out in particular or a couple that stood out in particular? I know you mentioned like Yaddle mm-hmm. popping up as a character. I also didn't expect to see her, but that was that was a nice, great addition. But was there any any story in particular out of these six that, that really stood out to you? Um, the Yaddle Count Dooku episode. I don't I don't remember what episode it was like four or something like that. Um, that yes, one, four, that mm-hmm. one was definitely close to my favorite. Um, if I had to pick a second. It probably was def- close to the last one as well with Ahsoka. Um, was was I really liked what they did there with her character and like I was like, oh yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, so definitely between those two, absolutely, those are two of my favorites. Yeah, I, I agree that that episode with Yaddle and Count Dooku, the Sith Lord, is what it, what it was called mm-hmm. was was pretty tremendous. That that's where you actually see, I think, the full turn, you know, to the yeah. dark side without giving too much away. That's where you see the full turn to the dark side on the part of Count Dooku and like exactly what incited that, that particular incident from him. So it was, it was just handled so extraordinarily, extraordinarily well. So definitely my favorite as well, but those are our thoughts on star Wars tales of the Jedi. If you've checked out this anthology series on Disney plus, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's move on to another anthology series over on the Netflix side of things. Guillermo del Toro's cabinet of curiosities. Picture your mind as a cabinet. 
where you lock up your darkest thoughts and deepest fears. What would happen if you opened that cabinet for the world to see? We are about to find out. This is one of those nightmare specials, the kind you never get to the bottom of. What was this family doing here? The one on the walls. Lot 36. Are you curious? Whatever is in there is mine now. I've seen a forest. A forest that takes the dead inside. Do you like to see white paintings? Please, show me mercy. No! There's a void inside of me. Inside of everyone. What is happening to me? There's an endless abyss. Harshing my mellow man. Here they come. That body will be your coffin. I'll see you buried in it. Welcome. 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 Welcome to my cabinet of curiosities. Now, this series is created by Guillermo del Toro, and the directors assembled for this anthology series include Guillermo Navarro, Vincenzo Natali, David Pryor, Anna Lily Amarpour, Keith Thomas, Catherine Hardwick, Panos Cosmatos, and Jennifer Kent. And so, Cabinet of Curiosities, this is an interesting new project from Guillermo del Toro. We know he's a prominent filmmaker, but he also is equally as prominent of a producer in Hollywood. He actually spearheads a lot of different projects. He's entered into the realm where he can he can start to put his name on projects and actually get them off the ground. And so, we first saw this trailer a few weeks ago. I didn't know that they were developing this anthology series, but this trailer came out, looks like a really interesting premise, mm-hmm. definitely calling back to the days of Alfred Hitchcock presents, right. And, and presenting these stories of these one-off horror tales that are taking place with unique characters in every, every individual episode, and also taking up distinct genres and styles of horror. And so there's eight episodes currently out on Netflix. I know you and I are both still working our way through it, and we still have a bit of a ways to go before we actually complete it. But we have seen a, a decent amount thus far, so I did want to talk about it. What do you think so far just about the style and the tone and just this whole project and what they set out to do with Cabinet of Curiosities? Man, I, I always enjoy a nice anthology series, um, and it's very rare. I was trying to think. like, I ever got one that was centered around horror that's not like American Horror Stories, you know, which is also pretty new. <laughs> um, not American Horror Story, but, you know, with the one with the S <laughs> that's apparently supposed to be more um, anthology-like. But this this, this here, um, I just love, first and foremost, it's created by, by Guillermo, you know, one of the, the, the coldest, um, um, you know, monster designers <laughs> uh, out here. One of, the, one of the coolest directors to me, man. I've always, I've been a Guillermo fan for so long. Um and you know just to see him what's crazy this dude has been working 
a lot recently. Um, I feel like he had like a not necessarily a hiatus, but I feel like he was ramping up to kind of just start releasing stuff. And now it feels like he's finally getting everything um, off his chest. We know that that Pinocchio is coming soon as well. But um, him him doing this, I thought is just a good idea, man, because um, how how could it not be a good idea? It's a horror anthology on Netflix. Um, the 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 release strategy is interesting, right? It was like two episodes from the twenty fifth through the the thirtieth, I think, or something like that. I don't know the 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 twenty ninth, but two episodes a day. Um, I thought was interesting. Of course, it sounds like we didn't keep up. It's a hard thing to keep up with, <laughs> but I can imagine somebody who was like really ready and in the spirit. Um, what having two episodes a day was a a, a cool concept. Um, in some ways, but I worked my way through two and a half episodes so far. And I, I like I like how different they are. Um, it does feel like a live action. We haven't talked about it yet, but um, a live action version of uh, uh, Love, Death and Robots, um, which they're all just so vastly different because so many people have written them and in different animation studios and in that specific anthology series. And here it definitely feels like from episode to episode that these stories are completely different. Um, specifically, I can speak to Graveyard Rats, how different of a that is shot versus lot 36 how different of a story it is from lot 36 which is the first episode um what one of the things i'm actually really loving about these is the acting so far um the they they might not land completely on on firing on all cylinders uh story-wise for me or creepy wise for me but i think the acting so far is like everyone is doing their job (laughs) like everyone is kind of killing it um tim blake nelson's in the first episode i I've I've also gone to the, into this p- pretty blind, so that was also a surprise. I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson's in the first episode. This is a great way to start off. Um, so I've, I'm also enjoying myself so far on these. The way anthologies work, almost always is all of them are not going to hit. Um, all of them are not going to be fire, but I'm sure there's some hidden gems, um, in here. I'm currently in the middle of the autopsy, literally like halfway through the episode. I I'm liking it so far. I'm all down for these weird mystery kind of kind of horror things um that are going on but man uh again and uh not too much to say other than that until i finish but again liking the concept so far loving that i also really like guillermo starts each episode and tells us who the director is i think that's really cool a lot of people only do that in the credits but it's been it's been a while since like we've been hosted through something in a sh- in a in like a show like this you know and I, I think it's dope that it's Guillermo himself doing it because I can very much see somebody else just being like nah we're good and not doing it but Guillermo cared enough to be like nah we should do this thing get people in the spirit of of what these cabinet of curiosities means um yeah and we, sh- and we should go through with it so I really like that about the series as well but um yeah can't wait to finish and see what the rest of this uh anthology series holds Certainly. Uh, horror anthologies have a really long history. As, as I mentioned at the top, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which this feels like it's directly paying homage to, mm-hmm. was very prevalent. And Hitchcock would often introduce a lot of those segments. He directed quite a few of those as well. And of course, The Twilight Zone is a probably the most notable example of Facts. an anthology series circulating around different horror stories every time you would watch new episodes but uh what 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 Guillermo is doing here is bringing back this style and 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 sort of going back in an old school way in terms of presentation but these are all very modern takes on horror absolutely utilizing modern directors as well I think the fact that you have a prolific filmmaker like Guillermo just allowing these filmmakers because I'm sure he was very much involved in who got to be a part of these projects and 
what ultimately would make it a part of this collection. The fact that he identified these really, really talented filmmakers to just come in and have almost essentially free reign to make the stories that they wanted to make is really cool. And I think that that is uh, something that definitely has to be commended. One of the directors, David Pryor, I believe it is, he directed The Empty Man, which is a horror movie came out a couple years ago. A lot of people didn't see it, but it's actually really underrated and it's actually pretty good. And so he gets a chance to come back in here and direct something and other people. I think the director from The Babadook is included in this collection. So you have really talented people here. And so far, I've seen about six of the episodes and so still have to finish it out. Everything hasn't always been the greatest, certainly. But what I do appreciate about every individual episode is that I walk away thinking something positively about it, even if I don't necessarily connect with the story. As you said, the performance is pretty much across the board or near incredible. I think everybody's given their absolute all. And there's definitely a lot of surprises in terms of who pops up here. Like you said, Tim Blake Nelson in that first episode. F. Murray Abraham popping up in the autopsy. Definitely didn't, yep. didn't you know, Crazy. anticipate that. Uh, one of the episodes has Crispin Glover, who I haven't seen acting something in, in quite a long time. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it, it's it's so it's so nice to see you. Rupert Grant is in one. So mm-hmm. they're also pulling actors that you just don't typically see that often. Like they've been working absolutely, but I don't think they've been featured in prominent things. But now being a part of this anthology series on Netflix, which is widely distributed, I think it's certainly going to add, you know, sort of a, a revitalization to, to just their notoriety across the board. So this is a really incredible experiment. What I hope is that this is seen by enough people so that we can just keep making these, like keep keep green lighting additional seasons. I would want this to keep going on for years and years and years because it's really limitless in terms of what you can do in in, in terms of the, the the filmmakers that you could attract and the stories that you could tell and just how far you can go with the concept. Because as you said, every individual story is so different from each other and every different style is, is so unique. You have body horror, you have really grotesque things, you have science fiction, mm-hmm. there's haunted houses, there's ghosts, there's demons. Like we're tackling all these different subgenres of horror as well. So you're never going to get the same experience twice out when you watch an episode. So Overall, it's definitely it's definitely something I think that's worth watching. As you said, anthologies naturally, all the stories won't necessarily stack up to being the best per se. But as a collection, as 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 what it's being presented as on the whole, this is definitely I think a, a really ingenious idea, and I, I would love to see more of it. I would love to see other people, you know, try to take a stab at this. Other directors, again, if they greenlight a season two or a season three, have some other people step up that can possibly take their own chances and and make their own unique films so definitely something to watch on netflix but those are our thoughts on the cabinet of curiosities if you checked out this anthology series on netflix definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to stick with the netflix side of things and actually transition to talk about some movies of course we have to talk about the brand new film from henry selick and jordan peele wendell and wild cat time to face your demons
demons. My demons have names. Now, this film is directed by Henry Selleck, and it's written by Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele, and it's starring Keegan-Michael Key, Jordan Peele, Angela Bassett, Lyric Ross, and Ving Rhames. So, Wendell and Wilde has been in development for quite a while, and Henry Selleck is probably the most famed director when it comes to stop-motion animation. I mean, he is a legend in that particular realm, most notably because of his incredible works that he's been responsible for, A Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, and most recently, his last film, which came out a long time ago, actually, Coraline, which has gained sort of a cult status over the years. And so it's been about 13 years since he's made a feature film, but now he is back on Netflix with his brand new stop motion animated film, Wendell and Wild. Notably, it's also his first PG-13 stop motion animated film. That was a very intentional choice to go a little bit more of a mature route with this particular story. So with all of that out the way, I'll pass it over to you, man. What did you think about Wendell and Wild? First and foremost, support any and everything black animation, man. It is very important, I think. If you have not seen Wendell and Wild, legit, please go click on it. Get all the clicks <laughs> that you can you can possibly get um, on this movie, man. It's important for the medium. Um, it's important for the culture. Just do it. Uh, it's too far and in between for us not to be supporting a film like this, I think. So, so please, please, please go watch it. But man, crazy. I would never thought in a million years that Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele would like combine their minds um, because I don't know. This is not something I ever conceptualized in my head or thought about. But as soon as they announced it, I was like, well, hell yeah, of course. Like this should absolutely be a thing. Um, so I was pretty excited coming into here, man. Huge Coraline fan. Like you said, it has a cult following. I actually plan on rewatching it probably pretty soon in the next couple of days, but it's such a good movie, man. Um, and, and, and Harry Selleck is really the stop motion king, <laughs> um, especially after watching this film as well. Just the way it looks, the way he makes stop motion feel, it's just so, I don't know, man. It's 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 something that clearly it's a, it's a hard medium. It's not easy by any means, but to make it look as seamless and as good as he does um, as a director, I think is definitely something to to pay attention to um as he continues to direct throughout the years but this this movie is fun first like it is it, i had a good time watching it um there's a lot of things in here that i didn't expect or see coming because there's so many crazy concepts that i wasn't ready for um coming into it i actually didn't know it was pg-13 when i watched it i found out afterwards i was like oh shoot it's pg-13 that makes sense now that it was pg-13 um but it, it this really is a movie about a girl she loses her parents a black girl at that she got two afro puffs i think which is uh, freaking amazing um and and she she has a shell now right not only is it a, a shell that's over her but she feels a tremendous amount of guilt by seeing um by being there during her parents death and so things happen transpire she calls on these two demons Wendell and Wilde played by uh Key and Peele to 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 bring her parents back and I think this movie succeeds best when it's her trying to get her parents back like there's like moments in the movie where like you can tell that the, the guilt is there you can tell she has to she feels like she has to do something in order to get her parents back and that those are my favorite parts of the movie um also 
the silliness of Key and Peele will always be entertaining to me. Um, we don't really get it in anim, uh, animated fashion. I actually love them here. They're they're really good voice actors. Um, we we know that Key is going to be Toad in the Mario movie. I think this dude is like low key ramping up to be like a really cold voice actor, man. Um, but it's it's it really is a bizarre and comedic adventure um, that I think any uh, really family cat, even though it's PG thirteen, I still feel like like absolutely you can watch this with your kids but there's some concepts you have to explain to them that's heavy right there's some substance use like they're Ken Peele's characters are low-key like doing a drug <laughs> in the middle of the movie but it's not really it's not really presented as that um but all, you have to explain to kids like death and grief and what that means um but the the my, my nip my only nitpick with the film is it's not as I feel like it's not as focused as it could be like there's a lot of times throughout the film where I'm like okay how did we get here and why did we get here um and and that happens a couple times just because I think they have so many ideas it was easy for them to you know what I mean not be as focused and in in but I think when it's telling the story right it's telling the story right and those are um some of my favorite parts of the movie again outside of how cool this handmade, you know what I mean? The stop motion thing really is. It 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 really is a good time. But man, I I suggest anybody who and everybody who's wants to get in in spooky season mode uh, to watch this. Anybody who's enjoyed previous Henry Selick movies again, especially something like a Coraline to go ahead, which is darker, right? Coraline in my mind sometimes is like, ooh, it should this be PG thirteen. <laughs> um, but but here, man, I I I enjoyed myself and I hope other people will too because it's it's yeah it's a fun movie um and it has a lot of really again big picture thoughts and big picture ideas um that that i enjoyed that they tackled so yeah i i recommend it for sure i definitely love the pairing here of jordan peele and henry Selick. as as you said you wouldn't naturally pin those two together but when you actually think about it 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 makes a lot of sense you know I, i feel like jordan peele would absolutely be a fan of his work growing up and we know he's a prominent producer in Hollywood now so he has the ability to green light projects and make the things that he wants to make and so he approached Henry Selick years and years ago I think at the beginning of Monkey Paw when they first were starting and getting off the ground saying that he wants to make a movie like this and so Mm. it's just a great opportunity for these two to just come together because I don't know if there's a space right now outside of streaming where this film could have existed and, and done well but Netflix seems like a great fit. And of course, you know, those two working directly together is also even made more great in the fact that you can get Jordan Peele's producerial talent. And then in addition to that, you can get his acting talent involved in this as well. And so Wendelin Wilde was definitely something I was looking forward to. And as you said, you know, black animation like this is this is something we just don't often see. And so it's a it's a new opportunity to to be explored in this medium in this particular way, specifically with stop motion. There have been things before, but it's, it's just, it just doesn't happen as often as, mm-hmm. as one would like. But this entire story, man, I, I found it to be really, really gripping for the most part. The way that it opens, pulling you into just the bla- the basic plot, it, it's very it's very striking. You don't, you don't necessarily anticipate an animated movie to start off that way in mm-hmm. such a mature fashion, but I think it really sets the stage in, in the most appropriate way. And from then on, it, it becomes the weird and wild and wacky adventure from a stop motion animated film that you would expect. There's a lot of crazy visuals. There's a lot of things that happen that are just silly, you know, to watch on screen, (laughs) but they become joyous because of just how crazy and chaotic they can be. But I would have to agree that the one, the one place where it falters is the story where 
they do lose a little bit of focus. And I found that even some of the characters, there might have been too many characters that didn't necessarily need to be there. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe if we trimmed down even some of the characters that were included, it could have been a more of a focused story where things wouldn't bounce around all over the place. But most notably, Lyric Ross is the main character. She did, I think, a phenomenal job. Both Key and Peele in their roles as Wendell and Wilde, the titular characters. I mean, they were having such a good time. Mm-hmm. You can just tell that these two were having all the fun in the recording booth when they were making this movie. It was definitely cool to see. And also Ving Rhames having a ton of fun as well. Yeah. All of these people coming into this project, you can tell that they were just having a blast and actually showcasing, as you said, their voice acting talents because... It's easy to just find the big name celebrities who can be attached to a film, but to actually find people that can really give life to a character through voice acting is a is a pretty unique ability and something that can't be necessarily taken for granted. And so I found all of the voice work really, really strong. And there were also several times where the animation style really popped because these big sequences would occur, these really visually creative sequences and also, a ton of cool needle drops as well. A lot of music in here that was included that was also like, really nice to hear. Mm-hmm. So I think, by and large, it's mostly a success. It, it may not work for everybody. Like, if you're not a fan of just stop motion in general, this might not work for you. And then also, the story, it does it does kind of fade out here and there. It, it, it has For me, it was a weird experience because for maybe 20 minutes, I would be totally locked in. And then, like, for five minutes, it would just kind of suck the energy out the room like something would happen and i'm just like i'm not really connecting with this Mm -hmm. so i was in and out of the movie at several different times but it was mostly able to hold my attention over the course of of its runtime so i think it's still definitely something to watch and i could absolutely see this becoming a film that many people rewatch over the years as it you know circulates on netflix and hopefully gains an audience the Mm -hmm. longer that it stays around on the streaming service so definitely a good experiment i hope that we can get more projects like this from not only Henry Selleck, but also Jordan Peele and also just other creative forces who want to see black people represented in this way throughout animation. So definitely an achievement in that regard. But those are our thoughts on Wendell and Wild. If you've checked out the new animated film on Netflix, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition to another film that just recently premiered on Netflix, the new war film, All Quiet on the Western Front.
habe Angst vor dem, was kommt. Now, this movie is directed by Edward Berger, and it's written by Ian Stokel, Leslie Patterson, and Edward Berger, and it's starring Daniel Bruhl, Albert Scooch, and Sebastian Hulk. And so, All Quiet on the Western Front, this new film that just came out this year, is actually an international picture from Germany. And it is adapting not only a book, but also a previous All Quiet on the Western Front film that came out in 1930, I believe it was. So, very, very, very long time ago. There have also been other adaptations of All Quiet on the Western Front, but this is, again, the most recent adaptation of that particular work. And so far, it's being submitted, I believe, as the German entry for Best International Feature Film at the upcoming Academy Awards. So definitely something to have my eyes on that I wanted to check out. And I did get a chance to take a look at it this past weekend. And I got to say, you know, war films are very hard to digest at times because if they're really violent horrific nature of the subject matter that they're tackling of course they're designed to be that way mm-hmm. many films are, are are designed to showcase the horrors of war but all quiet on the western front is specifically noted as an anti-war film and it always has been it's always been considered an anti-war film because of the way it, it depicts the violence of war and so all quiet on the western front is set during world war one for people that don't know and it follows two friends who enlist in the german army and they have a lot of excitement and patriotic fever for joining the army they're very optimistic about wanting to serve their country but then they soon find out that in serving their country and actually participating in this war it is it is certainly unlike anything that they could have ever anticipated and so watching this was honestly a very tough experience because of how realistic and how i just have to say incredible they depicted the violence and just the brutal nature of war throughout this film. So they they certainly achieved their goal here in terms of just the depiction of all of the horrific things that happened during that time. And on a technical level, this is a really impressive feat. I find that their ability to recreate a lot of those environments, the trenches, just the, the, the naturalistic environments that existed during that time that these people had to encounter and face during World War I um, feels so authentic and feels so real. Mm-hmm. All of this is really done practical for the most part from, from, from my understanding. And they have all of these extras participating in this. And so you really get a sense that you're on the ground in the trenches with these soldiers. And just everything you see over the course of, I think, nearly two and a half hours. It's a pretty long Jeez. film. It's just one brutal sequence after another. What I, what I found interesting about this movie is that there's not really a plot, not necessarily outside of what I've already explained about these two friends enlisting. There's not really a plot to it. it it's mostly just here to kind of show you how fucked up mm-hmm. all of this truly was. And that was the that was the piece of it that was the hardest to digest for me, because as you're watching it, you're like, oh, my goodness, we're, we're just on to the next thing that is really tough to look at the thing that's really hard to grapple with that you're experiencing on screen. But I think the way that it's handled was, was done so beautifully because slowly but surely you see these characters just, they just descend over the course of their time in this war. They, 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 they encounter so many obstacles, so many challenges and so many things that they have to do themselves and the killing that they have to do themselves. And you just, you see it consume them and change them literally throughout the film and so it's it's a really powerful experience but I, I would say you know if you don't necessarily have the stomach to just sit through 
two and a half hours of violence, then, then, then it may not be for you. It is a, it is a tough watch in that regard. But I think if you are looking for a, a film that is faithful in terms of its depiction to not only the source material, but how it likely truly was at that particular time during World War One, then this is this is pretty much up there for for any war film that's come out recently. And we we've been getting a lot of them, a lot of really notable examples of this. I mean, most recently, 1917 mm-hmm. is probably the most critically acclaimed war film of the past. I would say ten years or so, um, yeah. and that also focused on World War One and what Sam Mendes did with that movie was was really phenomenal and, and, and a knockout job. And I don't think that this is necessarily better than that i think that that movie had a little bit more of a a little bit more of a flow a little bit more of an impressive nature to it in terms of how it communicated its story but this one is still just a really visceral brutal and raw experience and and the fact that you just have to sit with these characters and 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 see what they go through and the last thing that i'll say too that it's also really impressive is just also the disconnect that exists between leadership and governments and then the soldiers you know the fact that Mm -hmm. the soldiers are living this brutal existence every day, but leadership are advancing this war and making decisions for no real reason, yeah. um, which I don't know if I've ever really known that, but when you look at what happens in the rooms and the decisions that are made, it's like, hey, we don't have to keep doing this. Like, we might have already lost. Like, why why do we continue to fight mm-hmm. in this particular way? Why are we sacrificing lives? And, and, and a lot of folks just have their own ulterior motives and reasons for why they wanted to continue this on. And so just showcasing the whole the whole futility of of war that exists especially for world war one which i know is often criticized for its almost aimless nature after Mm -hmm. a certain point in time this this film definitely reinforces that by and large and so i enjoyed it for 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 that for that particular piece and i would not be surprised that come academy awards time it's actually talked about quite a lot when, when when it does circle back around to the best international feature film if it does end up getting getting to the forefront of the pack um, do you have any interest in checking this out? What do you think about just like the state of war films, you know, in general and just like how how we're really leaning into this idea of just the, the, the anti-war film starting to come back into prominence and in, in more more feature films that are released recently? Yeah, I think that when when war films, when done right, and I think with a slightly different vision, um, I actually like them a lot. I really do like war films. There's a couple in there where the they don't succeed just because they don't have much to say or much to do right um which is where a movie like 1917 to me succeeds i think that movie is shot crazy <laughs> you know what i mean um in in uh, it sounds like all quiet on the western front also has both at least enough to say but also it has a decent amount to do and i think that's 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 what's important um in a lot of these war films and so i'm absolutely going to check it out again I, i'm a really big fan of war films um uh but Man, to hear that uh, uh, we got a movie on Netflix <laughs> that might be uh, out here in, in in contention for you know um, um, award season is it's 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 kind of refreshing to hear because I feel like it's been a while. Netflix doesn't always get like super wins out here when it comes to you know a lot of those things. They really do struggle. Shoot, we've covered so many movies on this podcast. We were like, nope, Netflix, that wasn't it. Oh, nope, sorry, Netflix again. That that one wasn't it either. Um, and, and so it's 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 good to hear this movie sounds like it's doing something right. But other, also, though, I, man, this is also a movie that seems like every time somebody does it, it goes pretty well. The original, of course, is a, it seems like to be a beloved movie, the 1930 joint. There's a TV movie I seen. It was like 79 or something like that. That also people actually really enjoyed that. And to see that this is 
like part three <laughs> doing pretty decent is it, it just tells really about the source material too like it's a book <laughs> you know what i mean it sounds like it's a it's a good book at that so uh i'm glad to see that they're also doing well by the source material again which we know doesn't always happen um that often so absolutely gonna check it out can't wait to watch it um but yeah glad glad to see um here uh, that another war movie good war movie is is on the horizon yeah and it's it's very sensitive material and so you definitely want to have filmmakers that are going to be cautious about how they approach the subject matter and, and and handle it in 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 a proper and somewhat delicate way and so this this definitely i think falls into that category and netflix hasn't i don't think i don't think that they've developed a lot of original war films and so mm-hmm. this this is definitely sort of making a big play i think for for award season when it when it comes around cuz now they can present this as their 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 film and interpretation of of that particular war so definitely interested to see how that all turns out but those are our thoughts on all quiet on the western front if you've checked out this movie on netflix definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we'll transition to our last movie that we're going to review this week a film that just came out recently in theaters the banshees of inisherin Harlem Sonny Larry. Didn't you and he used to be the best of friends? We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You didn't like me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite. It was me pony shite, which shows how much you were listening. If you don't stop talking to me... Colin! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them. And I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse goes to worse, he can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet ya. Going back to your own gang now, Parik. And talking to me, are ya? Why aren't you talking to Parik no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yet yeah, we all remember the music at the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. Can't be waiting around for any more of this madness. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. Now, this movie is written and directed by Martin McDonough, and it's starring Colin Farrell, Brennan Gleeson, Kerry Condon, and Barry Keegan. And so The Banshees of Inisherin is one of those movies that just sort of crept into 
our consciousness of things that have that, that that are starting to drop this fall and winter that we anticipate are probably going to get a lot of buzz come award season. But even beyond that, Martin McDonald has made some really, really impressive films in the past. He's he's a very acclaimed director, most notably in Bruges, which is a really tremendous film. I would encourage people to check that out if you haven't. It's a great, great movie. But most recently, he's coming off of the heels of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm-hmm. which got a lot of attention during that award season back in 2017, I believe it was, when he released that movie. So it's been about six years since he's made a movie, so a pretty long layoff. But he is reuniting Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson, who, again, were also in In Bruges. He's reuniting these two guys after not being on camera for, for, for a notable amount of time for this movie. And so I got a chance to check this out in theaters this past weekend, and it's essentially a simple story. It's about two lifelong friends who sort of find themselves at a really weird place in their friendship. They, they're, they're almost at an impasse because one of them decides to abruptly just end their friendship. And it's really, it's really hard to understand why, like what he's doing and, and, and why he made the choice. But what we see is that he's dead serious about ending the relationship, the friendship between the two. And because of that, there are very, very severe consequences for the things that occur over the course of the of the remainder of the movie. And so you just kind of see that play out. Martin McDonough is known for his really, really dark comedy. He, he He's pretty brilliant at that. He's incorporated it into all of his previous work. And it's absolutely present here. The really dark black comedy that that's infused in his script and his writing. And this is the shining element of this story and really all of his movies is the fact that he's able to write these really, really clever and creative scripts to where you can't necessarily predict where the story is going to go. Even under the circumstances of something that seems so deadly serious, he's able to infuse comedy in really natural and organic ways. I even found like a, like a movie about like three billboards. The subject matter is super serious. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually a really, really terrible thing that occurs in that movie. But there's some comedy in the movie where it's like, wait, I'm laughing. I didn't expect to be laughing. <laughs> and I think that that's the same case here with the Banshees of Inishir. And it's not as dark as Three Billboards, but it certainly has a dark premise. And and I think we've all kind of experienced at some point or another losing a friend, which is a really painful experience. It's it's probably more painful for a lot of people than losing like a a, a relationship partner, right? Mm-hmm. Like a boyfriend mm-hmm. or a girlfriend. Like if you have a friend breakup, it's like, wait a second. We were supposed to be friends for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened here? And so you kind of see these two guys who are also middle age, you know, and have been friends for pretty much all of their lives now slowly drifting apart. And it's only compounded by the fact that this fictional place of Inisherin is a very, very small island off of the coast of Ireland. It's it's a, it's a very small community, probably like three or four hundred people live here. So everybody knows everybody. The business of the town spreads extremely quickly. You know, you can't you can't walk 10 feet without running into somebody, you know. And so you just get these interactions between Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell that are just always electric and magnifying when those two are on screen. And I got to say, Colin Farrell, man, he is he he's quietly become like Loki, one of my favorite actors. I think he's still incredibly underrated, but just the work that he does is always so impressive. There's definitely been bad movies that he's been in but i don't know if colin farrell has ever been bad in a movie mm-hmm. every time i see him i'm just i'm just greatly impressed by his work and you know he's coming off of the batman earlier this year which is just so True. opposite from what he's doing here right it's mm-hmm. it's crazy the transformations that he can make but here the variety and the depth of his performance has to go in so many different places and just the emotional toll of what he's dealing with is just so brilliantly done on his part i really really enjoyed his performance i would not be surprised 
if he becomes a dark horse candidate in terms of the best actor race when the Academy Awards come around. And then Brennan Gleeson also, man, I mean, he always just commands the screen whenever he's present. He's just such a force. And everything that he does in this film is just so unpredictable. You just don't anticipate anything that he's going to do. And he becomes a slightly a slightly chaotic character where you just you just can't put a finger on him and and really understand what's what, what exactly is happening. And by the end of it, man, I was just really kind of knocked out by by how much is stuck to his vision and also just. I mean, frankly, at the end of it, 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 it doesn't necessarily end happy. It's kind of a bleak ending without giving too much away. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a bleak ending, but I, I actually like that it stuck to that because the movie starts off in that way and it sort of ends that way and just showcases that these things can't necessarily be patched up in a truncated amount of time. And so overall, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think it's 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 actually quite phenomenal. I can certainly anticipate for a lot of people that this is going to end up on their their year in best lists mm. i can see that right now just because of the performances alone and the writing are just so strong in this film and so i would recommend it for people whenever it becomes available on streaming because i'm sure it'll be out really soon on streaming i think i think when award season comes around if you want to start to tap into some of those movies that are going to highly be nominated this mm-hmm. is probably going to be one of them man it sounds like it i also been hearing a ton <laughs> um about this movie man kind of just popped up too which a lot of these award movies do like you don't even know they're about to come out <laughs> kind of sort of thing there's they, they really can't have marketing they're just like ah, oh, we'll just have to release <laughs> or we have to just pull up to a film festival or something like that we can't really have a commercial on doing football you know what i'm saying um so it's 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 cool uh, it's always cool to see these films um, kind of pop up. Shoot, All Quiet on the Western Front <laughs> by a lot of ways did the same thing. It's like, where'd you come from? Um, kind of sort of thing. But man, you said it, man. Colin Farrell, he really is a, is another one of those people who like will c- kind of just like pick and choose whatever the hell he wants to do at the time. Sometimes, like you said, him going from the penguin to this is like, okay, but how do we get here? Like, these are com- two completely different things, two completely different realms. Um, I also just rewatched for Spooky Season, Killing the Sacred Deer, right, which we've both seen. It's just like, that's not anything like these other two movies either. <laughs> so how do we get here? Um, but he's really good, man. He, Like you said, I, he, he has been in bad things. But I don't think he's ever been bad in them. You know, it's it's he's never been the at fault um, for any of that. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that he's just like continuously working really all the time it's uh, it's always like under the radar but if you like ever look at his his filmography or what he does he never like stops he something comes out almost every year from colin farrell like he's he, he he's an actor that acts like he's here to do the uh do his job um and so to see see him in in what seems to be a another i have to say another amazing film because you know how we feel about the batman <laughs> so it sounds like he's he's two for two um in the year at least uh, so it, I, I think that's dope. Um, especially with Brendan Gleeson. I didn't even think about Martin McDonough coming, just popping up again, especially after three, three billboards was the talk. Like when you say like it was the talk of the town, like that movie was being talked about a ton during that award season. I, I literally can't forget it. Um, and so to see him return here and w- with another potential, you know, um, a, a war contender movie, I think is, is says a lot about him because I'm pretty sure it's the only other movie I've seen of his is three billboards um so I, I think that's dope to see him here again it's dope to see colin farrell and brandon gleason um which yeah they're they're just dope man um so yeah i can't wait to check it out i'm gonna have to watch it pretty soon yeah no doubt about it i think uh martin mcdonald he he he's he he picks his projects really 
really, uh, really intentionally. You know, he doesn't just make films every, you know, couple of years just to turn out a film. He He's talked about his just his his slow to adapt approach in terms of mm. like actually bringing things to life. But it, it shows that every single time out he, he puts out a movie. I mean, they're all high quality. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I certainly support, you know, him taking as much time as he needs in between projects because this one definitely I think it has high prospects into the future. So we'll have to see. But those are our thoughts on the Banshees of Inna Sharon. If you've checked out this film, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're done with our reviews. And so let's move on to the news of the week. We got a few things to quickly catch up with. First up, we just found out that Vision from Marvel Studios will be getting its own series on Disney+. Plus. It'll be entitled, at least for now, Vision Quest. And it's going to bring back Paul Bettany in the role. And it's going to be essentially about the vision trying to regain his memory and his humanity if you all remember if you've checked out wandavision the end of that show we saw that there was a clone of vision created essentially white vision um who escaped off outside of the parameters of westview we still don't necessarily have any clarity about where that version of vision went um but we did see at least in that in that particular depiction of him that he did not have any sense of who he was Mm -hmm. he didn't have any of the the memories of vision he was pretty clueless and so it seems that this new series upcoming series will be addressing all of the efforts on his part to try to regain his consciousness and his and his previous memories what do you think about vision getting his own series we're we're kind of in this interesting place of, of marvel where disney plus is Continuing to be an important medium for them, um, an important outlet for them to develop future projects. There's been a lot of talk between special presentations versus actual series. Um, this is also officially the second spinoff series from WandaVision, the first being Agatha Coven of Chaos. So I think this is also reinforcing the importance of WandaVision to the grander context of the MCU. But what do you think about Vision specifically getting his own series? Did you did you initially think that this would be the case? Like, would you have would you have ever predicted that Vision would get his own series, knowing where we left off with the with the character at the end of WandaVision? And and do you think that this is the right move? It's it's so interesting because one of the biggest questions at the end of the show that I seen on social media was, what happened to White Vision? Um, part of me thinks that uh, initially when they ended WandaVision, and, and you know, you see, like you said, you see White Vision kind of leave um, Westview. I, I, in my mind, they never were like, time for a vision show next. You know, I don't know. I think they might have gauged interest here and in, in decided um, to kind of do this thing. I don't, I'm not 100% how I feel about it yet. And part of it is just because I feel like they could, we could be doing something else at this time. I just don't know what that thing is specifically. And I saying, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here like a Marvel exec or anything. I just feel like there are other shows and other stories that could be told or announced first maybe but i could be wrong in that maybe there's this is you know a next step on how we get you know something else um so yeah i'm i'm just not completely sold yet but i absolutely see where it came from um also paul bettany is a beast <laughs> you know what i'm saying like he can absolutely carry his own show um no matter what he wants to do i also really like the name for some reason i, I love wandavision and i also love wanda or vision quest i just think those are cool names for television shows um so yeah i'm 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 down for it uh just not all the way sold yet is kind of where i'm at yeah paul bendy is he's he's pretty incredible i i like him in, in anything i see him in even outside of the mcu and mm-hmm. so him to have finally the time to sort of shine in his own series i think it's definitely called for he's been a part of the mcu 
Facts. A lot of people might not realize this. Since day one, Iron Man day one, one, he was initially the voice of Jarvis. <laughs> so he's been around with the MCU since 2008. Um, and so for him to finally have a platform to to really showcase the character of Vision in this particular way is it's it's pretty great, I would have to say. Now, whether or not it needs to be an actual long form series that that's questionable. I mean, we won't necessarily know the answer to that until we see it, right? I think we we have to just see like what's the story. Naturally, just when I first hear this, I'm like, well, you know, do they have enough for six episodes or nine episodes or however long it might be? Um, it, it feels like it could have been something more suitable for a special presentation. I don't know, but if they have a lot of story and a lot of runway, then if it's good, then that's all that really matters, you know. So I think that in 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 terms of in terms of taking it to to the next level and making it a long form series, then I, I'm here for it if they if they actually have enough story. The next question then becomes, for me at least, well, you know, what are the consequences of any of these things to begin with, mm. right? Because entering into Wandavision, Vision was already technically dead, and so right. I think we. We were able to like sweep that under the, under the rug and say, all right, well, you know, WandaVision, we get it. We, we understand what you're trying to do here. And, you know, at the end of WandaVision, it seems like that they might have closed the book on Vision. But no, no, no. <laughs> we figured out another way to keep them around to then greenlight another show. It's like, well, when does it end? I'm not saying that they have to kill him at the end of Vision Quest. Right. If you keep him alive, keep him alive. But the whole fake death scenario becomes really tricky, you know, especially with the multiverse stuff now and just mm. like all of that being wrapped up into this. There's also a rumor that, you know, Elizabeth Olsen could possibly appear in the show as the Scarlet Witch, as Wanda Maximoff, who was another character that sort of just kind of went through a fake death situation mm -hmm. in Doctor Strange of the Multiverse of Madness. I mean, we know she's not dead and Marvel has also said like, we'll definitely see her again. Mm -hmm. Does that does that deter you from any of these stories? Does that kind of turn you off the fact that, you know, a lot of these characters or not a lot, but some of these characters, they sort of wrote their ends, you know, maybe a series or a movie ago, but they just continue to find a way to bring them back. I mean, that's comics in general that that's right. inherent to comic book storytelling. But does that lower the stakes for you in any regard when you watch these things and you, you sort of set yourself in, in terms of what your expectations are? Uh, I think there's just a balance there that kind of needs to, to, to happen. And I think so far. I think we're so far we're, we might be in the okay, right? Like we lost two pretty big people who don't seem like they're coming back yet, right? And then in, in an Iron Man and the Black Widow, like you said, it, it got tricky again with the Gamora. <laughs> it's like, oh, is she back or what's going on here? Um, kind of sort of thing. And so we we haven't done it too much yet. And if they do it with Vision again, sometimes you got. I think it's a balancing act. Like if you bring, if you say, okay, Vision's back, everybody. In my mind, I'm like, okay, now who's dying for real? You know what I'm saying? Like who's now who's going away? Um, and that's kind of how I'm sort of keeping tabs on it. Because like you said, it is very comic booky. Like people came back through the most wild ways. The multiverse is literally an excuse to bring anybody back <laughs> at this given time. And so I just think. It really depends on what Marvel decides to to yeah how they balance it in my eyes and and, and for me so far we're okay like uh, okay let's do it if you want to do it but now you just know some stakes need to be raised in the next thing you know what I mean like just 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 don't leave just don't leave us here when we're like okay we know they're gonna come back oh okay we know they're gonna come back like no leave them dead um so yeah again right now i'm fine but we'll have to see what happens in the future 
Absolutely. And another Marvel news, we just found out something that's it seems like it's been officially confirmed, but it's been it's been rumored for a few weeks now. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II has been tapped to lead the Wonder Man series for Marvel Studios that will be premiering on Disney Plus sometime in the near future. So he will be playing the titular character Wonder Man. Now, we've somewhat talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. I mean, Wonder Man is I mean, I don't know. Is he C-list? Is he D-list? He is <laughs> not known really at all, I think, by anybody. I, I don't I don't know a lick about Wonder Man, but this is a project that Marvel Studios will be moving forward with. I think the only thing that I know about Wonder Man is that he, at one point in time, was a part of the Avengers, which, you know, you can say that about a lot of characters in Marvel Comics, but be that as it may, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II is jumping over from the DC side of things over to Marvel. Um, we know that he has been Black Manta in the Aquaman movies. We'll see him again in Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom next year. But in the time being, he's going to be portraying this new superhero in the Marvel Universe um, who appears to be somewhat important to their future storytelling. What do you think about Yaya, you know, joining the MCU? Are you excited about that casting decision? And ultimately, like, what is this Wonder Man thing going to be? Like, what does this even look like? Man, I, I had to agree. I, psh, Wonder Man... Who knows? I mean, I know all I know is he has like weird, MC, not MCU, but more, just Marvel comic book connections to like Tony Stark over here, and I don't know some other stuff. But I all of a sudden went from not really interested to interested just because I like Yaya. <laughs> uh, clearly, first clearly Yaya's a nerd too. Like the dude has been Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> he's, he's you know, oh my goodness, <laughs> Black Manta. And now we're here and he's Wonder Man. It's like, oh man, this dude really is might be a nerd. Shoot, he's Candyman. <laughs> he is playing some roles out here when you think about it. The dude is the dude is low-key becoming a legend. But uh anytime anytime Yaya gets gets um any work, I'm 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 there to support, man. Um and I don't I don't really know much else outside of that. Like I'm just here for Yaya. Um and I hope that he brings something to to wonder man um that not many people know about like it's a very specific character um but i him leading a series i think is a great idea just him as a person <laughs> having a disney plus series sounds like a good idea to me i'm all for like these cool ass black men and women getting their own shows on disney plus so uh or shoot just getting roles in the mcu in general too like to say jonathan majors and yaya at some point are going to be shoot you know in in the mcu i think is dope again along with anybody in the black panther franchise anybody it's just really dope um to see black people getting getting uh a lot of this work i think it's really cool so i don't know what this means again specifically for the mcu but i'm just here to see Yaya kill some shit again. So hopefully it's, hopefully it's a good series. I'll have to do some reading up on Wonder Man. Again, I've seen him. I just don't know anything about him. I've seen his character in the most random places, but I, have no, I don't even know what he does. Does he fly? Does he have... I can't remember. I think he has like some electricity shit somewhere. I don't know. I have to figure <laughs> out. Um, but in some ways, I think that's cool, though. Like, I, I think part of the point, again, of this phase is to introduce us to characters that we don't know a lot about. So the fact that we don't know anything about Wonder Man now, Yaya's playing him, I'm way more interested than I was before. Um, so I think I think it's a good casting, and I think we'll 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 see um, the benefits um, later on down the line when the show comes out. Yeah, after doing some some quick quick reading up on Wonder Man as a character, it actually looks like, as you said, there there are definitely connections to Tony Stark, but it also appears that the character starts off in a bit of a a more 
I think a more villainous place almost. He's he's actually in a in a pretty in a pretty strong state of despair mm. when he when he gains his powers and it seems like he starts off as a villain mm. in actuality, but then transitions to to being a hero and he's working with Zemo and allegiances are tested. So there could be some complexity there in terms of what they decide to what they decide to explore with this character, they 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 obviously may alter a lot of these mm-hmm. origin story elements to him because Tony Stark is no longer in the MCU, but they could possibly relate it back to Stark Industries on a more True. holistic level. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, it could be interesting. I think, as you said, the whole goal is to introduce us to a lot of new characters, and though though he might not seem like anybody really on the surface, they can, at the drop of a dime, make him incredibly important especially when you bring in a, an actor of the caliber of yaya i mean it seems that they are taking this very very serious and right now the language being used is that this is still going to be a series and not just like a one-off special mm-hmm. so it it appears that they have a lot that they would like to explore with wonder man so we will certainly have to see and in our last news item we just found out that peacock has given a straight to series order to a friday the 13th prequel which is currently titled crystal lake and this is going to be a series and so this is really interesting because Friday the 13th as a franchise has been in limbo for so long. There have been so many legal issues wrapped up into the ownership of this particular franchise. That's why we actually have not seen a movie mm. coming out of Friday the 13th lately. I know a lot of people are probably wondering like, well, wait a second. Halloween has come back in a big way with these, you know, this new trilogy and it's made a lot of money. Where's Friday the 13th? Why don't they try to capitalize off of the same thing? Well, it's been legal issues, folk. There, There's a whole a whole rabbit hole of things that have gone on for the past, I say, like 12 or 13 years. And, and it's really halted things for the development of this franchise. But it looks like Peacock, NBC Universal has been able to figure something out because now this new series is going to be a prequel to the Friday the 13th franchise, which... I don't know, is interesting considering the fact that the first Friday the 13th movie had no Jason Voorhees. Not really. Mm -hmm. It was all about his mother, who was the killer of that film. That was the big twist of that movie. So how do you make a prequel? I I, I don't know. I don't know what the story is necessarily. It kind of feels... It feels a little bit like Bates Motel, almost like a mm. like a story where you look at the father son dynamic, you know, of what what went down with those two titular characters and, and and what happened in that story. I don't know if that's the inspiration. Maybe it is. I could be totally wrong, but I'm just I'm just not entirely sure what this is going to be made up of. What are the parts being utilized to tell the story of Crystal Lake? Because Jason didn't become a formidable foe until after the first movie. By that time, he was a grown man, you know, going out and slaughtering and killing teenagers in, in camp. Uh, but if you focus it on his mom, I guess that could be interesting. I just don't know exactly what that looks like, but they obviously know more than us. And so they've given it a straight to series order. So it must mean that there's something there to tell. What do you think about this? And and are you even excited for it? Yeah, I think it just depends on the way they frame it, which you said, what story are you telling? Um, and I think there is, there might be something interesting there where you talk about Mrs. Voorhees in, in after, let's say after Jason gets drowned, right? What's that time period between that and when Jason comes back, right? Like, I wonder what she's going through with it. Like, maybe that's the show. <laughs> maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I remember me and my family every year during uh, spooky season, for some reason we didn't do it this year, but we always play Friday the 13th, the video game. But in the video game, as Jason, you can see, like, a shrine to his mom or, like, the sweater his mom gave him in the game. Or like, There's a lot of, like, cool stuff um, in the game that's surrounding his mother and again, the potential relationship they had. So I can, again, kind of just imagine 
what it was like for Mrs. Voorhees and Jason before death and then post death. Um, and then shoot the whatever the hell she had going on in the in-between time until Jason is then uh, reborn or, or, or resurrected. So maybe that in my in my mind, that's what it, only thing that it could possibly I don't know what else there is, you know, like you said. Um, but I think if they frame it correctly and a trailer comes out and I'm like, hmm, I see that. That's interesting. I, I could see it, me getting excited for something like that. Um, but for the time being, it's more like something I have to see versus something I ha- uh, that I can just hear and get excited for. No doubt. I think that, uh, that that's an interesting point just in terms of like the, the whole dynamic of what she went through. Um, I imagine that there, that there has to be there has to be a lot of attention paid towards that. And I'm also curious as to see if this would be a period piece or not. We know the Friday mm. the 13th franchise started in the 80s. Are they actually going to go back to the 80s? We know that there's many, many series and films these days right. that are taking place in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, sort of paying homage to that different generation. I wonder if they'll take the same approach or try to modernize it in, in that particular way. It'll be interesting to see, but we will have to stick by and find out. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning in to another podcast. We will be back next week to talk about the latest episodes of the Star Wars original series on Disney Plus and or we'll catch up with the most three recent episodes that have premiered on that streaming service and anything else that comes out. Don't have anything on the list right now, but we will certainly see. I'm sure something will pop up. We'll be back next week to talk about it, so definitely be in tune and stick by and we'll see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. This is the year 2022 black nerds remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all peace